You're listening to the Curator Salon. I'm Gita Joshi, and my guest today is Danny Tracy. Welcome, Danny. Thank you. Happy to be here. So you've currently got a series of work. Sorry, you've got an exhibition, Archaeology is at Charlie Smith London, showing alongside Michael Buffet and Gina Soden. Mm -hmm. So you've actually, in that exhibition, there's two types of work that you're showing. There's the sculptural pieces, and then there's the photography. So do you want to talk about the two, two different areas of your practice? Yes. And my background is in photography, in a fine art context. Um, but I find that it's not always appropriate to show photographic images. So for this particular show, I'm showing a sculptural piece and also photographic images, both which exist in different areas of my practice. But I find that there's times that they can combine and collide to produce interesting results. And both of them reference actually the process of making that work as well, don't they? Because I know a lot of your work is about the river. To a certain extent, yes. Um, I think it's about the process of making work and it's about the process of finding the objects, of collecting. But I think really importantly, it's about the uh, history of the objects that I collect and the way in which that can resonate through the different ways that I activate the objects as well. What do you mean by activating? It's basically by working in the studio and by inhabiting the the pieces either physically by um, creating these kind of like garments or costumes that I will wear and then um, um, take off and then kind of like build around myself to create this human form. That's one form of activation. Another form is by taking the clothing that I gather in, back into the forest where it comes from and creating a kind of sculptural response to this space and by photographing it using a large format camera. So with finding things in the river, you're finding things in forests as well and you're actually going around woodland looking for things because I know you've talked previously about uh, the Thames as a filter. That's right, yes. I mean, the filter is something that's really important to my practice, I think. It's about looking at different spaces, about the um, politics of land use, about communities that, act, um, that are active in certain spaces. And what I'm really interested in is looking at these spaces as a, a form of filter. So the, the filter is really important because it's the space itself that allows the activities to happen. Um, so certain people, certain um, groups or communities will use a different space, um, a space that I'm interested in. So it could be the forest, it could be the River Thames. And those spaces themselves actually um, capture the, the materials which I then collect. So, for example, in the terms of the Thames, it's at low tide when I will go down to the foreshore and collect items of clothing or certain object. <laughs> the idea of mudlarking really comes to mind, but you're not actually doing any kind of treasure hunting, or do you actually consider some of these things you find as treasure? Um, certainly, I, I see them as uh, a type of treasure, um, in so much as if you could define treasure as something that has worth or has value. Um, and this might not be in a monetary sense, but I think it's certainly in a cultural sense and a anthropological sense, and in a, you know, basically a, a kind of art um, practice that I'm interested in, I think there's something that's really, really fascinating about these objects. I think that they, they resonate uh, a kind of uh, mystery and an aura that I'm really drawn to. And what do regular other people that are mudlarking think of 
in your bags of clothes. Um, that story you told was really funny before. You know, where you like you got this big IKEA bag. Yeah. And they think, wow, he's got loads, and then they see what you've got. Sure, yeah. I, I do get some um, funny looks when I'm down in the Thames. I think that people think that I'm either there to, to clean the river or I'm just crazy because um, what I go for is uh, are basically could be seen as, um, as waste or as kind of abject materials. Um, but as I said, I, I think that they're, they're really in, uh, significant because these items of clothing signify um, certain acts that, that I do, don't know how, how the clothing got there, but they, they signify acts of... Basically, it's something that's really kind of unfathomable and uh, will never be resolved. And that's the thing that I find is really fascinating about the, the process because um, there's something that about the unresolved that is really, really powerful, I think. And then how does that translate for the forest? Okay, so... In terms of the Thames, we have the tide that, and the river itself that acts as a, a, a filtration system. In the forest, I'm interested in the small um, paths and the small signs of activity that, that um, I witnessed there. So it's Epping Forest that I'm currently making a body of work in, which is a huge forest. It's L- London's largest green space. Um, and there's lots of different types of communities that are active in that space. So you get your typical um, dog walker, um, you know, kind of um, a jogger, that sort of thing. But you also get lots of homosexual activity in part of the cruising scene. You get lots of illicit behavior in terms of um, things such as joyriding motorbikes, that kind of thing. And um, what I see that culmination of activity signifying is a use of the forest, forest by different communities that's really diverse and it's really, again, full of a kind of sense of um, uh, mystery and sort of subversion, but also exploration, I think. And the forest itself becomes a filter in the the way in which the trees and the bushes and the paths um, catch or capture certain um, elements. So it could be clothing, for example. Um, I call these things signifiers. So clothing is a signifier of activity. And also, so I used condoms. And it took me a while to realize that these small objects, which are really um, base and abject and actually quite repulsive and something that I'd consciously avoid, it took me a while to realize that there's something extremely significant in these um, used objects because they signify intimacy and a, um, a kind of like a, a sort of form of passion and a, um, a basic kind of romantic gesture in terms of consensual sex, basically. So in the forest, other than clothing and condoms, what else mm-hmm. are you collecting? Okay, so one of the other significant objects are aluminium drinks cans because a large part of the social activity that takes place is the consumption of alcohol. So I got really interested in these cans. In terms of how they could relate to um, the condom as a significant object as well, because it's clear that there's a link between sexual activity and alcohol consumption. I suppose there's a sort of, you know, just as there is in a a pub or a club, for example, has the same relationship. So when I started to think about the condom being translated or transformed into a sculptural object, you're then faced with a few challenges such as what's your material? So it could be marble, it could be bronze, it could be uh, wood, it could be um, concrete. 
and all of these questions are raised and you have to th kind of figure out which is the best option. So I started to realize that perhaps aluminium as a material, as it you know, has a, a strong connection to the condom, could be something that I could cast these objects in. And it wasn't something I'd ever done before, but you know, YouTube is your friend in this way. And um, I, I did lots of YouTube research and looked at lots of fat white, white American men melting things in their back garden. And I thought, well, I can do this. Uh, so I started to collect these aluminium cans and I built my own forge and melted them. And then I um, discussed with a, a friend who's a sculptor the best way to create these unique casts from um, used condoms, basically. So we were looking at a sculpture earlier, which is, like you said, a cast of a section of a forest floor. Mm -hmm. So how did you actually then, what's the process there for getting that as a negative to create a positive for your sculpture? Yeah, well, it's really similar to something you might have seen on a kind of um, CSI type um, program, where you get the forensics who are there to, to create a, a kind of like a fingerprint um, in terms of perhaps a, a shoe print or a tire or something like that. So what you do is build a frame and then you pour a liquid into that space that then goes hard and sets and then you can begin the process of creating the cast from that. And as you mentioned, it's a, it's a negative. So it's actually a, a process that reminds me a lot of the photographic process where you're creating positives from negatives. So the, um, the process is very simple. It's you know, something as old as the Bronze Age, I imagine. Uh, but the, te the technology and the materials are, are very modern. Um, so, yeah, it's about, it's about a kind of indexical, forensic examination of the forest floor that's translated into a sculptural object that, that is directly linked to the aluminium drinks can. So it's the absence of the human... So it's, it also feels like a legacy, you know, where somebody's actually passed through your work because all your work, you know, whether it's made from the rubber soles of the, you know, slippers found in the river or the clothes through the forest mm -hmm. and the aluminium cans, they've all been sort of touched by other humans, kind of them, but, you know, it's like an evidence, as you say, in the CSI sense. Absolutely, yeah. There's, I think um, all of my work is really about others and it's about um the use of space by others, um, by communities, by individuals. I'm really interested in that. I'm really interested in alternate uses of space. And the River Thames is one example of that. And also um, Epping Forest. I'm also making work down in the LA River as well. And it's really about individuals um, coming together and kind of what I, what I really sort of associate it with is a form of exploration and a form of um, announcing the kind of ulterior use of a space that perhaps isn't recognized. And through that, I'm collecting these objects, these um, items that I see as the fallout of the activity that I believe are really significant in terms of a kind of sense of being useful to indicate the nature of that activity, but also from an um, anthropological perspective, I think. You know, in, if we look at anthropology, it's about looking at um, others, uh, looking at what they leave behind and trying to kind of like translate them or trying to decode certain acts um, that, you know, might from the outside not be seen as particularly significant or might be seen as being coded. And it's about trying to sort of decode them, basically. If you're using materials like metal to create casts, sculpture casts, there's something, you know, like that's... A 
a process that's often associated with uh, memorials. What would you say you were memorializing there? I think it's um, if it is a you know a, a memorializing process, then it's about the the hidden act, perhaps, um, and it's about the the individual act sometimes, or like a, a very kind of like small, insignificant act that I think has got a, a real um, significance, and I think I empathise with, and I acknowledge as well the use of space that is might be seen from the outside as being slightly um, abject, but I think is extremely tender. And sometimes is really um, very poignant as well. And in going back to the River Thames as an example, um, a lot of the, the materials that I come across, in particular the clothing, may well have um, been put in the Thames in terms of it being dumped there or being dropped there from the from the, a bridge or something. But there's also a, a darker, um, less spoken about side of that, which is um, perhaps suicides as well. And I think the official figure is something like 50 suicides a year, which would be one a week. But I think unofficially, it's they, they reckon it's about four times that. So you're looking at, you know, 200 suicides a year, which is quite a lot. And once you go into the Thames, you tend not to come out again. Um, so I'm really interested in, you know, the use of space in a way that is extremely significant, but is perhaps not acknowledged. And this also extends into some of the other items I collect from the Thames. So one of the signifiers is clothing. I'm also collecting bones from the Thames. And I'm collecting coconuts. And I come across whole coconuts sometimes that I keep. And I find them really, really charming and very interesting because my original relationship with them was to imagine that perhaps they came in from some sort of um, trade route or something like that, you know, drifting in from an island somewhere in the Caribbean. I then realized that this is probably very unlikely. So I started to um, look into the reasons why I was coming across quite a few um, t uh, whole coconuts in the Thames. So, of course, there could have been the, the um, falling off the back of a Tesco lorry or something like that. But again, that seemed like there was way too many um, for this to be just a, a kind of like chance occurrence. So it seems that there's... Um, a relationship with the Hindu um, community to large bodies of water, particularly rivers. So, for example, in India, uh, the River Ganges has a you know a, a extremely strong um, spiritual connection to the people. So, if you're a Hindu and you don't live in India and you live in London, then the Thames will become your your main source of that of that connection. So, it seems like these uh, coconuts are actually offerings into the, into the Thames oh, by see. the Hindu community. Oh, okay, because I, I was going to say they were rejected from some market trader or something mm. like that. But actually, yeah, you're absolutely right, because, um, yeah, in Hindu culture, it's a, it's running a flowing water, which okay. is the main sort of place, uh, usually, you know, for cremation, but other ceremonies as well. Yeah. So it's flowing, yeah, yeah, flowing yeah. water. Yeah. And the more I um, tune into these kind of, you know, small objects, the, the more I, I see certain other signifiers as well. I'm coming across lots of um, brightly colored beads, that are certainly not precious in terms of the fact that they're made out of plastic, they're not semi-precious stones. But clearly, I think there's so many of them that they have a, a significance as well to whoever is, is putting them into the river. And there must be quite a lot of people doing it. So I'm not sure if that's a Hindu thing either, but um, I'm coming across quite a lot of them. And these things then become sort of invested into, into my practice, basically, and I'll, I'll work with them. I'll try to, you know, kind of um, relate to them in some way and create some sort of um, connectivity with them. It's always a kind of hands-on, physical, sort of sensory um, um, response, basically. 
So it's really interesting, isn't it? Because London obviously is so multicultural as well that you are going to get, you know, sort of practices from all sorts of um, cultures that are, um, you know, using the river for their you know, various practices as well. Absolutely. And that's something that I find really interesting and actually really helpful about making a body of work when I'm using these filters, as I explained before, to kind of do the, um, the filtering for me. Because as an artist, it'd be absolutely impossible and really um, self-defeating to try and make a body of work that was in any way about London. You know, you just couldn't do it because, of course, my perspective is so limited and so narrow. So to use um, a huge entity like the Thames to kind of like almost do the collecting for me and then to, to, to reveal on its banks at low tide certain items that I can, can sort of tune into and focus allows me to, um, to use that entity to comment on the thousands of different acts on a daily basis that are happening in London and the, the Thames is the conduit for those responses and for those uh, acts, basically. So what have you got coming up? Because you mentioned you were going to be in L.A. soon. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, a kind of another ongoing um, body of work that is using the LA River in a in a in a way as to to filter some of the um, the kind of inhabitants of LA's um, sort of belongings or kind of acts, you know. So again, it's sort of like a, a slow ongoing um, uh, work, really. Um, I've got a few shows coming up here in the UK. I'm really interested in working with. Um, a gallery in um, near Stoke, which is a sort of um, English industrial town that's gone through periods of decline and then regeneration and subsequent decline again. And I may well be working with them in a kind of like response to site, basically. So I'm really interested in this kind of um, responding to an environment, really. That's really what my, um, my process is, is um, all about. So Stoke, as in the potteries? Yes. Trent. Okay. Yes. Because that's, yeah, it's had a kind of ch- turnaround in uh, its own economy, hasn't it? It's so much manufacturing has sort of moved abroad and all of that sort of thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think now that I'm moving into working with um, sculptural objects in various ways, so it might be something I'm constructing by hand or maybe using casting processes, then I'm already starting to think about ways I could perhaps work with steel, for example, because I think there's still... Um, steel foundries up in that area. So just just ways in which certain materials that were inaccessible to me can become accessible through you know different different processes basically. So let's talk about something a little bit different, a bit more around your studio practice because um, what I thought was really interesting when we were talking earlier was around having sort of multiple pieces on the go. Yeah, so I find it really useful to not only work on one one body of work at the at one time and you know focus on that and divert all my attention to that i think it's good to have several things sort of bubbling away because then you can leave something alone and work on something else come back to that that previous thing and it really becomes a an editing process at the time when you're making work you feel like it's the best thing in the world and you're really excited about it, of course, and everyone needs to see it, and that's not always the case. You know, it's about um, allowing something to sit and to to go through a process of of talking to friends about it. You know, showing it to a few close friends, and maybe going to different um, institutions while you're doing an artist talk and just uh, showing it to a group of students, for example, and then maybe talking to a few curators and then gallerists, and it's about just gaining different responses, really, and then figuring that that out along the way and perhaps making slight adjustments to it, really. So, yeah, so I'll tend to have 
something that might be photographic, something that might be sculptural, something that might be um, purely garment or clothing based. And something that I intended to initially be a sculptural object, object could well end up being a photograph and vice versa as well. So I'm, what, I, what I tend to try to do is not be too tied down by one particular medium because I find that that has its own rhetoric that can be quite limiting. So when you're making, like say you're at the river, I mean, are you filtering yourself in terms of what you'll pick up, for example, or is you pretty much taking anything, you know, that, that you find that, let's say, is very general, is just clothing, or are you looking for very more specific things and having your own filtering process? Absolutely. I think your filtering process um, evolves and, and you have to try to keep it sort of in tune, basically. You know, I, I really can't... I don't have the time or the space to take everything I see in the Thames. And also, you know, as an artist, you need to really have your, um, your goggles on, your art goggles, and your, you, you do sort of tend to, to focus these on different objects. Um, for anyone that's ever been down to the Thames Force, you'll, you'll understand that there's a, it's a huge space and there's so much uh, variety of materials down there that you really need to, to look for just a few different types of things. So when I was first down there several years ago, it was very much focused on uh, a look for clothing. And even when I came across the small pieces of leather shoe that are currently in the Charles Smith London uh, exhibition, I, was start I started to discard these small items because I initially thought I couldn't wear them. I couldn't turn them into a garment, which I would then wear for uh, the camera. But then the more I saw them, the, they started to bug me, and I, I couldn't refuse them. I had to collect them. I had to take them home and take them to my studio and then figure out ways to actually work with them, you know, to activate them. Also, when down the, the foreshore, I realized that there was huge amounts of um, bone material, which was significant. There were certain types of stones or rocks that were, that were significant as well. So it's about trying to, um, trying to uh, filter, certainly, what's already been filtered by the Thames, but also to remain open to possibilities and to potential, basically. Oh, that's great, Danny. So the exhibition Archaeologies runs at Charlie Smith London Gallery over at Old Street until 13th of April. And where can people find you online? My website is dannytracy.com and I've also got an Instagram account that I just only use for research, which is dannytracyuk. Fantastic, and I will put all of that in the show notes. Thank you, Danny, for being on the Curator Salon. Thank you, Gita.